0: Listen to Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
0: There were two more murders 15 miles away. police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide seen described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Of murder. One person can change the course of an investigation. On November 3rd, 1978, a young woman disappeared in a case that remains unsolved to this day. A case that has one person, her own brother, spearheading a movement to solve not just her case, but the cases of many other female victims. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On November 3rd, 1978, 19-year-old Teresa Allure disappeared without a trace. Earlier that night, the college student at Champlain College, Lenoxville, turned down offers from friends to go out and told them that she needed to go and study. Living in a place just under five miles from the campus, there was a bus that students often frequented, But if it was missed, many opted to hitchhike to their destination. One friend came forward and claimed she saw Teresa leaving the campus dining hall around dusk, while another said she saw her in the stairwell of their dorm at around 9 p.m. But when she failed to show up later and hang out with her friends like she promised, people started to wonder where she went off to and why she hadn't come back. When days passed and still no one saw Teresa, they started poking around her room and her locker to see if anything was amiss. By this point, her friends assumed that she either went to visit someone in Montreal last minute, some friends lived out there, or went to see her boyfriend out west. Teresa was known to hitchhike, but still, her friends started to grow worried as time wore on. Eventually, someone reported the teenager missing, but police, from the very beginning, stated their belief that the girl had simply run away. Going further to provide theories like that she was pregnant and ashamed or that she had quote, lesbian tendencies and would probably need psychiatric help, officers did little to look into the case, no matter how much friends and loved ones told them that their assumptions were wrong. You see, no one noticed any problems in Teresa's life. She got along with her family, seemed to have a wonderful group of friends, and her bank account remained untouched despite her sudden disappearance. While friends and family fought to pursue the case, and officers seemed to ignore them, five months passed by, and on April 13, 1979, abandoned a small body of water less than a mile away from her dorm, someone found the nude body of Teresa Allure. The police at the time suggested that she was a victim of drug overdose, despite toxicology reports finding zero traces of either drugs or alcohol in her system and that possibly it was done with the assistance of some fellow students. Again, the case failed to progress. In 2001, the family went to the police and asked if they could have her clothing and any of the possessions found with her remains. Handed just some of Teresa's jewelry, her father was told that there was nothing else, leading her family to believe that all of the other evidence was destroyed despite the fact that her case was still unsolved local police refused to confirm or deny what happened to the evidence in Teresa's case, and even today, refused to comment on the details, claiming it's an ongoing investigation. Even though her death is officially considered suspicious, but not a homicide, the coroner who investigated her body back in 1979 stated their belief that the marks found, quote, could have been marks of strangulation. Teresa's family, left at a complete loss, fought to prove that the stellar student with no history of drug use was murdered and pushed to have the case treated as such. They continued to do so for decades until finally in 2002, John Allure, Teresa's brother, who was just 14 years old when she died, created a website titled, Who Killed Teresa? and dove headfirst into an investigation all on his own. After a series of twists, turns, dead ends, signs of corruption and a suspected cover-up, John landed on the name Luc Yolande Gregoire. Connecting with reporter Patricia Pearson along the way, the duo soon found compelling evidence that Teresa's death was connected to those of 10-year-old Manon Dube in March of 1978 and Louise Camerand in March of 1977. A theory later supported by geographic profiler and then-FBI consultant Kim Rosmo it was suggested that a serial sexual predator was operating in the Quebec area in the late 70s and that Teresa, Manon, and Louise were all three of his victims. Going further in their 2020 book, Wish You Were Here, John and Patricia also found links to the 1977 deaths of Helen Manast and Denise Bazinette, as well as point out the glaring failures within the Quebec police system that led Luc Wigoir, if he truly is the killer, to prowl for victims unchecked. Luke ended up dying in prison in 2015, having only been convicted of one murder, the 1993 case of Calgary convenience store worker, Leilani Silva. Though Teresa Allure's case remains officially unsolved, the investigation by her brother has in no way slowed down. Neither has his quest for answers. Within his theories, John Allure came up with a number of burning questions for investigators who handled his sister's case. Things like, why wasn't the man in charge of her residence questioned after her disappearance, especially after he left the job shortly thereafter? Why did the school close down that particular dormitory, even when they were suffering from a housing shortage? And why wasn't Teresa's case investigated as a potential sexual assault, since there had been a large number committed on the campus during that time period? Their book offers many theories, but most of it seems to boil down to the corruption within the department. If you want more details, both John and Patricia have done mountains worth of work and investigation on their own that, if this case sparks interest, deserves your attention. I'm simply here to present some of the more base facts. In addition to their book, John produced a podcast, Who Killed Teresa?, in which he has not only continued his sister's investigation, but identified 14 other unsolved murders from 1975 to 1981 that might all be connected. He also successfully lobbied for the creation of a cold case unit created in 2004 and in 2018 began focusing on other Quebec cases from the 1970s through the present that showcase similar systematic failures with the criminal justice system. Following his lobbying, the police in Montreal announced on January 17, 2019 that they too would be creating their own cold case unit. John Allure has for his efforts in victim advocacy, been awarded the Senate of Canada's sequicentennial medal. While the solving of Teresa Allure's murder would bring some much-needed closure to the family, John says that they are well aware of the difficulty and the fact that whoever was responsible for her death may have very well already died himself and will be unable to be brought to justice. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on November 4th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it.